this is the Cattails Podcast, Food for the Journey. Season 5, Episode 7. Loving Leadership Part 1. There is no enemy. Hi, I'm Michael and welcome back to the Cattails Podcast. So I hope that you've been enjoying when we looked back on my first book, Guideline for a Holistic Happy Life. And the first six episodes, we looked at all the different aspects, what it means to be trying to be healthy in today's world. And we're going to move on in these next few episodes into my second book, Loving Leadership, because it's now available. Listen, listen, I'm holding it in my hand. It's so exciting. So before we do, I'd like to say a massive thank you to our sponsor. Our sponsor are the Masterclass Sessions. The people are the best in the world at what they do, and every month they have masterclasses that you can book on, attend, watch, and enjoy, and they're absolutely amazing. All about learning, all about helping each other to grow in business and life. They're amazing. And if you send me a quick email, michael at kataholos.co.uk, or um, comment on social media, something that you're enjoying from this season's episodes, you can be in with a chance of winning a whole year subscription to the Masterclass Sessions, 12 sessions, plus all the recordings from two years going back for free. And today, very exciting, uh, I'm announcing our first winner of the season. So it is a client of mine and a friend, Sam Hartley. So Sam Hartley is a wonderful guy. He is a financial planner based in Manchester in the northwest of England. And he enjoyed one of the episodes so much, he sent me a minute and a half voice note just raving about it and his reflections on it. So if that's not you know, letting me know what you enjoyed about the podcast, going into that depth, I don't know what is. So congratulations, Sam. Hope you enjoy uh, being part of the Masterclass sessions. I think you're going to absolutely love it. This is a very special time for me to share this with you. My second book, Loving Leadership, is finally available. If you want to buy a copy, just click on the link in the show notes. But I wanted to not just promote my book because I don't think that's cool. I wanted to do more than that. I wanted to go into more depth and explore all the different chapters of the book so that if you've never read it, if you've never read anything that I've written, you'll still get a lot from it. And equally, if you're one of the kind people who have bought it and enjoyed it and said, yeah, I love it, Mike, you'll get something more, kind of like we did with the first book in the first half of the series. So let's get into it. I'm not going to focus on what loving leadership is, why I wrote it, anything like that, because all that is in the introduction in the book. But I will tell you that, you know, I've had a lot of experiences as a teacher going back 18 years now. And I realised that I had a way about myself, the way that I led in all the different situations I've been in, the public sector, the private sector, voluntary work, in my business, training people. And I realised that I had a way, a way of doing it that wasn't the same as everybody else. People seem to like it. And I thought, I need to capture that. I need to put that into something so that if I get hit by a bus tomorrow... Then people say, what was Mike all about? What did did he do the way he did it? How did he do it? If I want to do similar, it's in the book. So I can die happy today. (laughs) It's in the book. And we're in some turbulent times, aren't we? And I don't know where I read this, but I read this once. It said, everything rises and falls on leadership. And it does. So there are many definitions of leadership and many books being written on leadership. And hopefully if you know my material by now, you'll know that the material that I write is what I live So when I wrote my first book, I had a philosophy for living and I've lived that for five years now. And it's the same with this. This is a leadership philosophy. This is what I think it's all about. This is my way. And I've been living it for several years and I'm going to continue to hopefully live it it for many more years. But I wanted to uh, start with a definition which I think is excellent because you'll hear so many different things from different people. 
But I just think this is a really good starting point. It's not in the book. It's something I learned after the book, but it really resonated with me and I'd like to share it with you now. So I'm very fortunate to be in a fantastic organisation called the Global Chamber. It's got over 550 groups in over 190 countries. It truly is uh, global. And the founder, Doug Brunke, was one of the speakers on a panel on leadership. There were four different people, two men, two women, with I think over 100 years combined leadership. Uh, And I was attending this webinar and I was just listening because I just wanted to know as much as I could. And all four people gave four different definitions of what is leadership. You can do degrees in it nowadays. But I like Doug's the most because I think it's a very simple bedrock and a quite unusual one upon which you can put your own take on leadership. He wasn't saying this is what it is. He was saying this is what he thinks it is. And I feel it's a really good one to start with. And he said it's this. He said it's having nothing in your mind, no pre-assumptions, nothing, but being able to respond to the needs of your people. And I'll say that again. So you're not going in there thinking, I need to think we need to do this. This is my take on it. You're totally blank and open, but you're ready and willing and able to respond to the needs of your people, your people, whoever they are, they have needs. Can you respond? Can you help them? Can you help them to get solutions, to grow? Can you be there for them? And I love that because in my book, I talk about well, what's the greatest resource that allows you to truly be there for people? What are you drawing from? And I make the point you're drawing from love, the well that never ends. And if you don't believe me, just go out into the street and ask somebody, have you ever felt love? I'm pretty sure most people would say yes. It never runs out. So I thought, that's really cool, that. So we'll take that kind of definition today and move with it. So it's that ability to respond to people. And I um, try to respond to people from a place of love. So there are six practices that I talk about in the book. And over these next six episodes in the podcast... We're going to go in deeper uh, in complementary ways to the book. So like I said before, if you've never read the book or if you have read the book, don't worry. I never repeat myself. (laughs) So the six practices that help you to lead from a place of love, because how do you actually do it, right? The first one is to let go of enemies. We're going to look at that today. The second one is to grow and develop yourself and others. The third is to embrace paradoxes. The fourth one is to recognize that relationships are sacred. The fifth is to think long term and the sixth is to create meaning that matters. And so in the book, that's the framework. These are six guiding principles that if you apply these regularly, and I mean these daily, regularly, regularly, over days, weeks, months, years, you will be able to cultivate a love for people in a very practical, pragmatic way that people can see every day. And I'll tell you now that the one thing that I've cultivated in my in my life over the last few years, especially in business, is loving kindness. I've talked about several times, but it's the love that I have for people. And from that love, that is my bedrock that all my leadership comes from. It's quite amazing. It was a lovely surprise when I realized that this thing that I was just doing because I thought it was the right thing to do was actually really helpful. So these are the six practices. And just off the bat, to give you some examples of real people, these are three of my favorite people in the world who I would say have been loving leaders. Their examples of leadership was very, very loving. Mohandas Gandhi, the Mahatma, who helped India to be liberated from the British. I read his, I bought his autobiography, his biography. It's 800 pages for 50p (laughs) about 10 years ago, and I read it. And what did he do? He let go of the idea of the British as the enemy. He didn't want to have any kind of violence towards them. He focused on the Indian people and their liberation. So he was a, a very strong example for me, who led from a person who led from a place of love. The second one is Louise Hay. 
if you listen to any of these podcasts, you know I'm a huge fan of Louise Hay. Louise Hay was doing personal development before it was even a thing, I think in the early 80s. And she suffered horrendous abuse and horrendous trauma. And never once in any of her work did she focus on blame and being a victim. She focused on love for the self. So she focused on... I would say growing and developing herself and apparently she only started in the in her 40s and embracing the paradoxes that the worst things that happened to her paradoxically helped her to have the most love. And the third person is a very special person who's dear to my heart is Greg Plitt. So Greg Plitt um, was an incredible man who's a military man. He took that mindset of the military into fitness and he was always thinking about the long term, sacrificing today for tomorrow, he used to say. He's always thinking about what are you doing, what's it mean, what's it add up to He's always thinking about developing yourself. And they're just three examples. There are many, many people, maybe you can think of some, people who lead from that place of love. And again, it's very important to say at the start of looking at this framework that that's what it is. It's a guiding principles, a framework upon which you can base your leadership. It's not just saying, I love you, therefore, I don't know, I'm going to go hugging people, kissing people. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something deeper, something of great depth, something with only good intentions to all people, and something that really doesn't have any limits and can be consistently applied. That sounds pretty helpful to me. <laughs> so there is no enemy. That is the first guiding principle in chapter one. And it's something that I feel very strongly about, which is why it's first. We kind of accumulate this concept, don't we? When we are younger, we hear about people that are bad people. We might hear about monsters. We might hear about, oh, they're not like us, and, and all sorts of things. And we see various forms of racism, sexism, homophobia, um, xenophobia. Just basic saying there's us and then there's them, the other. Now, there's massive differences between us all, definitely. But the moment that a competitor and a, I don't know, a rival or somebody you don't particularly like, the moment they become your enemy... I make the point that it's just not going to help you. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help them. It's definitely going to help, not going to help you lead. I'll give you a silly example. I support Man United, the football team, and there are Man United fans I know that think that it helps them to support their team by hating other teams, by putting down other teams, and really strongly despising these other teams. And I've supported this team for over 25 years. I never bought into that. Now, I'm not judging anybody. If you want to do what you want to do, fair enough. But for me, I was like, how does that make me love my team more by hating another team more? Doesn't make sense. Every moment I spend hating them, I could be spending focusing on my team, learning about my team, supporting my team. So that's just a silly example, but we all do it. If you watch any football game, especially in the Premier League, watch some of the crowds. Now, I've been to loads of football games. I know a lot of it is not meant in hatred, but some of it can and some of it spills over. Now, I use that as an example because that's just an example. Most people support football team as a hobby, right? It's not their job. It's not their business. It's just something they do. And if we're picking up enemies in just our hobbies alone, where else could we pick them up? And many, many conflicts over the last thousands of years, as we know, people die when they're in opposition to other people. And I'm not in any way judging anybody from any, I don't know, any day or year before today when I make this for you. But I'd make the point, where does that end? What if you said, from now on, I'm not going to see people as enemies? There's going to be people I hate, or don't really, really don't like, people I disagree with. There's going to be competitors, there's people who I think are awful people. But 
I don't want enemies in my life anymore. Can you, you know, can you think now? Can you really think of how many enemies have you got? Is it a whole group of people? Is it one person? Is it somebody who's wronged you and, and done something awful? Let it go. When you let it go, and you even let go of what's called the abstract concept, meaning like not just that enemy, an enemy, any enemy, right? The idea of that, if you just let that go and don't include that in your life anymore and say from now on, I just don't have enemies anymore. I'm not going to cultivate, I'm not going to find them, I'm not going to go looking for them, I'm not going to invest any time or effort into these. And also as well, anytime somebody else tells me that person is your enemy. You know, having the bravery, having the confidence to question that, say really? Why? Now, of course, we have to always be respectful and I want to be respectful of you and where you're at in your life. But this is why I've written this book in this way because I realise leaders don't like being told what to do. Nobody does, I don't. I'm sure you don't. Nobody likes being told what to do. But especially in leadership, they like having things to help them. When I work with leaders all the time, they say, that's really helpful, Mike. Thank you. I've used that. I applied that. And this word, that's great. So that's the first principle, to just try it out in your life. Think about it. Really think about it and think from this day forward, how could it enhance your life and help you to feel more love for yourself and for everybody if you said no more enemies? I just don't have them in my life. I'm not going to talk about them. I'm not going to bring up my children to have them. I'm going to see how we can get on. So I've got an exercise for you I thought might help you to do that. Just think about somebody at the moment. So let's use my example of a team, you know, the Man United rivals, Man City or Liverpool, something like that. Think about somebody who, if I think about a supporter of that team, they are the enemy. Well, could I let that go? What does that look like? Well, for me, what it looks like is just... I don't know, less energy is taken. I've conserved energy, I've not wasted it. I might imagine them being happy. You know, what good could come from that? Maybe I've got a new friend. Maybe I've got a mutual respect thing there. And if you're out walking the dog or listening to this in the van, obviously you can't write these things down, but if you're at a piece of paper and a pen and a digital device, just write it down. Who have you got in your life right now? And you're like, they are absolutely my enemy. I hate them. I hate them. Is it really helping you? And is it helping them? Could you be brave and let it go? Or could you, as Louise Hay, I love Louise Hay, she says, could you be willing? So if you can't do it, could you be willing to do it? Because if you're willing to do something, that's 90% of it. The actual doing it, it's just the last 10%. If you're sat there saying, no, I'm not willing to, fair enough. But if you're willing to do it, you take that thread and run with it. How far could you take that? No more enemies. Not all best friends. You don't have to like everybody at all. But no enemies. None at all in your life. And nobody would say that about you. Here's another way of thinking about it. Are you on anybody's enemy list? Are you on the, oh, that person's awful. No, no, no. Let's let it go. I want to give you a couple more things because whenever I talk to people about this, this is honestly what comes up. The enemy within. <laughs> you mean thinking about that when I mean talking about enemies? He's thinking, yeah, my, my biggest enemy is myself. I don't like myself. I actually sabotage myself. I self-sabotage myself. I don't want to be happy. I, I've just made myself in some kind of enemy. I don't know why. Maybe I've picked it up from somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, I get that. But again, okay, it's brought you to now, but could you be willing to let that go? What would that feel and look like if you could let that enemy inside go? No more enemies. Without or within. They're just not part of your life anymore. It's like me when I gave up drinking. <laughs> about seven years ago, I stopped drinking alcohol. It's no big thing. It's just not part of my life anymore. I don't think about it at all. 
at all. So some things to help you with that. I've got a few quotes and I've got a book recommendation. Les Brown, my favourite motivational speaker, Les Brown. Basically, his brother was his enemy. All the time, his brother used to bring him down and make fun of him. And One day, he just realised, he went, it's just not worth it anymore. For him, it wasn't worth it. For his energy, just to hate him, to just try and just, I don't know, convince him of something or change that personal. It's not worth it anymore. So think about yourself. With the enemies you've got, or the enemy within, is it really worth it? Are you holding on to something? If it's worth it, you're going to carry on doing it. But if it's not worth it, just let it go. Let it go. And the second quote, to help you with that, if it's for yourself or somebody else, another one from Louise Hay, she says, you've been criticising yourself for years. It hasn't worked. So try approving of yourself. See what happens. I've been trying that for years, and i tell you what, it works more than it doesn't. And the final thing I want to give you is a book recommendation. It might seem like an unusual one, but just hear me out. It's a book called Helgoland by Carlo Rovelli. Carlo Rovelli is a quantum scientist, quantum theory physicist. And I love science, and I love quantum theory. And basically, one of the points that he makes, he's charting in, in Helgoland, he's charting the whole story of quantum theory of the last 100 years, and how it revolutionized everything. We thought we knew... Classical physics taught us everything. We just said, one more little bit. Nope. Quantum theory came along and changed everything. And one of the points he makes is, you've got to be willing to let go of what you think it is to embrace what it really is or move closer towards this real substance. And that's what he had to do. And that's what it challenged him and challenged all the classical physics to do. Everyone thought they had it nailed. Clockwork universe, just a few more things we had to figure out. We'll know it all. Nope. <laughs> it's a brilliant book, read it. Everybody suddenly had to consider the world in very different ways. And you can see what I'm doing here. If you let go of what was, he's saying, that is the true scientific method. Let go of what you think it's all about. Be open to what the data is telling you. Be open to what your real life is telling you. Don't have any preconceptions, like Doug was saying. Be open to letting go, like Carlo was saying. Be willing to love yourself and let that enemy go, like Les Brown. And Louise Hay saying, and like I would say, you know, no more enemies. You don't need them anymore. Let go of what was to embrace what really is. And that's the first principle. And that's why it's first in the book. No more enemies. You do that, the amount of love that you have in your heart. It's like if the carbon dioxide in your system goes down, the oxygen in your system goes up. Same thing. The enemies and the hatred just float away. There's more space for love. And as we say right at the start, love is the most powerful force. That's why I wrote a book on leadership, motivated and fueled by love. So I hope you found that helpful and I hope it's exciting for you. I'm really excited to have this book out into the world. It's really cool. And just take something from today. Maybe try the exercise. Maybe check out Mohandas Gandhi, Louise Hay, Greg Plitt, Carlo Ravelli, Doug Brunke. And just try something. Just let it go for a week. See if you feel a difference and even if you don't just know that right now just as you are somebody loves you very very much okay take care and speak soon so 
Today's random positive fact is a brilliant one. So psychologists and psychiatrists at the University of North Carolina did a study where they proved that if you hug people that you're very close to, people that you love, that will boost the hormone oxytocin in your system and that can help you to boost your mood and lower your stress levels. So if you're stressed out, you're feeling low, find somebody that you love, give them a good hug, 20 seconds, or get them to do the same, or even hug each other at the same time, and hopefully you can help each other feel a bit better.